Welcome back, U.S. History fans. So our last podcast, we covered the historical documents, founding of the nation and whatnot. And so now we're moving on with industrialization. Now I know this might seem like a bit of a jump from our last podcast because we're kind of basically skipping over a lot of Civil War type stuff. I know it seems a little weird to kind of jump that, but hopefully that stuff you all went over in previous classes. So um, if it's something you want more information on, contact me and I'm happy to point you in the right direction or maybe somewhere down the road I'll make some other podcasts to go along with this. But today we're going to be going over industrialization and this is the time period right after the American Civil War. So we are kind of redoing our country, building up, starting over, that kind of stuff. So, And it's, I can't exactly say it's like, oh, right after, I guess, the Civil War. I'm going to be a little more broad than that because this is a pretty long period of time we're going to be covering because industrialization isn't something that just happens overnight, isn't something that just happens in a few years. This is a pretty big and long process. So this is kind of like 19th century, I guess, and we could go even before that, and you could argue still going on today. But anyhow, let's get going with a little textbook definition for industrialization, and then I'll get you the basically. So textbook style, the overall change in circumstances accompanying a society's movement in population and resources from farm production to manufacturing production and associated services. <gasps> okay, the basically, it's basically changing from farming to manufacturing. So... It used to be America, we were all doing work, you know, on farms at home, done by large families. Everything was small scale, kind of like the cottage industry, usually associated with linen, but it's basically making things at home on a very small scale. People specialized in trades, blacksmiths, weavers, tailors, and so on, those kind of things. However, during industrialization, now where we're starting to move to these factories, we see a rise in this unskilled labor. And this is going to later on lead to immigration stuff. And the reason immigration goes up during this time when we're moving to factories because of this unskilled labor, there were a lot of jobs available. These are called pull factors, reasons for people to come to America. So jobs, a better life, religious freedom. Remember those Bill of Rights that we talked about? We can, you know, we have a lot of rights in America. So these are pull factors, reasons people want to come to America. Now, there's also reasons that a lot of these immigrants want to leave their home countries, all right? Wars are going on, or conscription, if you will, like being drafted, famine, um, you know, so basically um, an, you know, an area where there's just not a lot of food available in America, we are fairly plentiful. That was me patting my belly because I have food available. Um, and there's just not a lot of economic opportunities available for foreigners back home in their country of origin. So people start coming to America for work, and a lot of things are changing in the workplace in America because we have all these immigrants coming in, we are no longer working at home, we are no longer working in cottage industry on that small scale, we're no longer working on farms. So by 1880, factories were employing hundreds, even thousands of workers, sorry cottage industry, and these workers would work in these kind of like sweatshop type conditions, these very, very crowded workrooms. And as far as the business operated, the owners and the upper level managers rarely interacted with their workers. 
So they had very little concept of what life in the factories was like. So because of this, it was less personalized and there's less of a chance to make positive changes in the workforce because the managers don't really see a need to because they don't understand the plight of the average day worker. So now talking about these sweatshop-like conditions, we see these things called assembly lines. And it's a manufacturing process where parts are assembled in a sequential order. And the idea was it made production faster. Think of it like you're assembling a keyboard. All right, so if I'm assembling a keyboard for a computer, I put it on this you know, assembly line where one person, they put in all the S's on the keyboard and then the keyboard goes to the next person while the other person's still doing the S's. The next person does all the A's. The next one down the road does all the D's. And if you do this long enough, you become sad. You see what I did there? Oh, yes. So anyhow, people would work these long hours, uh, very little pay. Uh, it just, it was not a nice way to produce. And this is sadly still going on today in different parts of the world in developing countries where the workforce is exploited. And it's all in an effort to keep the cost of production low because people want cheap goods. So they find ways to maximize the product and keep their prices down. And that's not always good for the end consumer. So, um, I'm sorry, for the, for the worker, not consumer. I guess it's good for the consumer if the price is down. Anyhow, let's move on here to labor systems. Now, remember, we talked about these assembly lines and all these people. Well, these businesses found that, you know, if they operate for, say, eight hours a day, well, there's still some more hours, like ooh, 16, that no one's working at all. So they developed this shift system, which allowed businesses to stay open 24 hours a day and produce all of those hours. And during this time, you know, usually you think of three shifts, you know, three eight-hour shifts will get you that 24 first, second, and third shift. And during this time, there was no job security because of all of these workers, these immigrants that are coming in, it's not just immigrants, don't feel like I'm picking on them by any means, but because we have this abundance of population, there's no job security. You are replaceable. These jobs are not highly skilled jobs for the most part. It's as easy as putting in an S on a keyboard, as I said earlier. All right, so because of that, you're easily replaced. If you're not happy about something, guess what? I got 10 more people that want your job. Also during this time, there was no minimum wage because the different employees, remember that whole lack of job security, abundance of workers, everyone is fighting with one another to get a good job. So one person works for $5 an hour, another person comes around and says, hey, I'll do it for four. And then another person says, yeah, well, I'll do it for three. So if the two, if these, these employees are fighting with one another for the job and they're saying they'll do it for less, the one who wins is the employer. So, and that immigration that I keep referring to here, I guess I should probably give you a definition. It's the movement of people between countries. And as we said earlier, a lot of people are moving to America for economic prosperity because there, there's money to be made. Now, sadly, a lot of the jobs that were available were unskilled labor, but 
anyone could do that, whether you spoke the language or not, so it made it easy for immigrants to come into the United States. And most immigrants came in in one of two locations. On the East Coast, the Immigration Center was known as Ellis Island. And on the West Coast, the Immigration Center was known as Angel Island. So these were the two big areas where people came in. Now, there's different kinds of immigrants, or at least during this time, we, we see, we've seen the old immigrants and the new immigrants. So the older immigrants, this would have been basically people coming into the country from 1776, founding of the country, to 1890. And then the newer immigrants would have been from 1890 to 1910 area. And we'll talk about a little later on when we get to 1910, 1920, those kind of areas, um, why it kind of slows down. Because we start, spoiler alert, we start passing some laws that don't allow as many immigrants in. So that's why it kind of gets cut off at 1910. But anyhow, the old immigrants, the 1776 to 1890, this is the Northern and Western European people versus the new immigrants is more the Southern or Eastern European people coming. The old immigrants were Protestant versus the new immigrants who were mostly Catholic, Orthodox, and Jewish. All right, the older immigrants were literate and had a lot of skills, technical skills, versus new immigrants mostly were illiterate and unskilled, and that had a lot to do with the jobs that were available in America. All right, the older immigrants came over as entire families, whereas the newer immigrants came over as birds of passage um, or just kind of single riders. All right, the older immigrants were very quick to assimilate, as in, yay, America, and I love everything about America, and I will give up you know, kind of my heritage and where I came from to adopt these new American ways and so forth. The new immigrants were kind of clannish and reluctant to assimilate, so they would kind of be in their own little groups and areas that they would rather um, only be around their own people, so to speak, or the people from their own back home area. The old immigrants were experienced in the ways of democracy, so they were okay with democracy, they liked democracy, they liked the American way of doing things. The new immigrants were seen as kind of radicals, holding on to maybe some of their uh, different belief sets for government. And finally, the old immigrants um, came over with some money in their pockets, so they were able to start up businesses and do other things like that that required some financial backing. Versus the newer immigrants were more impoverished and came from areas that maybe didn't have as much money. So now all of these immigrants are coming in. Not everyone reacted the best. At first, people were like, okay, there's lots of work available. That's all right. But then later on, it was seen as them taking our jobs or their ticker jobs. That's a South Park reference. Sorry for those who don't know it. And a lot of strikes and any kind of union backlash was all aimed at these immigrants. They became scapegoats for problems. Uh, maybe you've seen signs that say, help wanted, no Irish need apply. Oh, I'm Irish. So a lot of problems that were going on got blamed on these immigrants. For instance, demonstra demonstrations uh, that were like in the Haymaker Square riot, and I'm going to go into this more later, um, usually seen as, oh, that's the immigrant uh, immigrant workers. And we see this movement uh, favoring nativism or nativists. And a nativist is a movement favoring native-born Americans over immigrants. So we, we, we like our Americans. We want our Americans to work these jobs. None of these foreigners taking our jobs for us. So 
the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 was kind of a move towards slowing down or getting rid of uh, some of the immigrants. I guess more slowing down immigration, but it basically prohibited all Chinese laborers from the United States. Now, I'm guessing this is mostly going to be some newer Chinese coming in because a lot of them were already here in America to help out with the railroads. So now we were trying to kind of send everyone back or limit the amount that were coming in during this time. Now, that being said, the number of immigrants coming to the United States had really gone up quickly. More than 25 million immigrants had come to the United States between 1870 and 1916. Just to give you a little idea, Texas is like 27 million. So it's basically we're adding a Texas onto America during this time. Now, this 25 million that I just talked about, plus natural growth, growth just, you know, people making babies, uh, population during this time more than doubled. It went from 40 million to 100 million. Now, just to give you a little perspective, America today is over 300 million. I think we're like 330 million or something, but we're, we're still going up kind of thing. So, now, during all this time, all these immigrants coming in, there are problems, and we're going to kind of get into some of these problems when we talk about child labor and tenements. We've already mentioned those working conditions, but we're going to kind of apply some of them to some other areas, including child labor. So now, in the 1830s, states had laws restricting and prohibiting the employment of young children. However, okay, it's like jaywalking. People just kind of ignore it, all right? Rural communities having bans on children working wasn't very important and it wasn't really seen as a bad thing. All right, farms need kids. All right, they need workers. I mean, the whole reason that schools have spring break and summer break is because they need, you know, kids were supposed to go home during spring break and plant some of the different, you know, seeds and plants and everything. And then during the summer, they would then go out and you know harvest everything. And also, the idea of children working wasn't necessarily a taboo thing. It was seen as, oh, children working benefits the poor. At least there is some amount of income that is coming their way. Factories started to get more involved with hiring children as well because these giant factories, they needed lots of workers. So sometimes they would hire entire families to work and live for the company, and I'll go into that here in just a little bit here, but these people would be on average working somewhere around 68 to 72 hours a week. All right, if you're working 70 hours a week, that would be 10 hours a day, seven days a week. All right, and that's just, I worked one job where I had to work probably on average 80 some hours a week, and it was terrible. I can't imagine doing this your entire life, and especially children working these kind of hours. Now, as I said earlier, entire families would work and live for a company or live at the company. What this means is some businesses would have villages that they would own right next to the business. So the reason this is kind of a bad thing is your paycheck would go right back to the business. I mean, a lot of people, these businesses, would take money out of the paycheck before you even got it because the rent would be have to go right back to the business. The the food, the grocery store, um, any kind of clothing you bought, all these things would go back to the vill um, go back to the company because you lived in a village that was owned by the company. And 
a lot of times they would force you to live in this little village if you wanted to work at the company. And remember, people wanted these jobs. That's why there was no job security. People wanted them, so they were willing to work for less. They were willing to do these things that were maybe contrary to good business decisions or living arrangements. And a lot of times there was better living conditions not far away, but the business was like, nope, you want this job? You're living here. So one example of this was in 1880, and it was called the Pullman Village. And this was a town entirely company-owned, providing housing, markets, a library, churches, entertainment for around 6,000 um, employees and their families. And they had to live there even though there was cheaper places to, to work somewhere around there. Now, just to kind of give you an idea of some of these, and the reason Pullman Villages, sorry, backtrack for a second, uh, is kind of famous is because the people revolted. They didn't like this. So, yay, power to the people. They fought back, so to speak. All right, now, just to give you some more depressing figures and numbers about kids working and whatnot, uh, statistics show that kids, you know, during this time would work somewhere between 12 and 18 hours a day, roughly six days a week. Um, so if you figured at 14 um, hours a day with, you know, six days a week, that's 84 hours, and they would earn, you know, a dollar. Now, granted, a dollar back then versus a dollar now, still, it was not very much money. And children would enter the workforce as young as age seven, and they would be working on machines um, in spinning mills, hauling heavy loads, uh, working in factories in damp, dark, and dirty conditions. They worked in coal mines. This was not good working conditions. But the, re you know, the reason they wanted to hire children was kind of boiled down to a few different things. All right, one, they were cheaper. You didn't have to pay them much. Remember, I just said a dollar a day. All right, so it wasn't a lot of money, so they could hire them and pay them less. They had smaller body types. They could do things that grown men could not do. I remember growing up helping my dad with, you know, working on um, on a car. And he's, oh, can you get your little fingers in there? Because I was a small child. I could I could fit my hand inside and change, a, like, I think it was the light on a, on a headlight or something like that. Uh, so smaller body types, small hands could do a lot more intricate work. Children are easier to train, okay, for a couple reasons. One, easier to train. A child's mind is like a sponge. They learn quickly. Also, they obey orders because they're a little child, and if an adult is kind of, you know, like pressuring them into doing something like, you will do this or I will hit you, okay, that's kind of motivation to do whatever that they want done. So um, it was easier to boss them around. Now, these new businesses that are employing all these children, employing a lot of immigrants, uh, these having entire company-owned businesses and everything, there's different way these businesses are operating. All right, one of the ways is horizontal integration. All right, this is acquiring other businesses that do the same thing. And this is effectively creating a monopoly or one business that has complete control over an entire market. And if they have complete control over this entire market, and we're going to go into this later on, by the way, they can charge whatever they want. For instance, in my hometown here, uh, Toledo area, there is a movie theater system that basically has control over all of the movie theaters in the immediate area. Because of that, they can charge whatever they want. And our area has like, I think one of the top 10 most expensive movies, um, like 
price-wise in the country, which is ridiculous to think about, little old Toledo, Ohio, but where else are we going to go? There's not a lot of options. Now, it's not a true monopoly because, yeah, I could drive 45 minutes, but I'm lazy. So an example, historical example for you, would be John D. Rockefeller. And he owned all oil refining businesses by controlling the uh, by controlling the railroads, and this um, he would give bad shipping rates to his competitors. So if you wanted to sell oil and you had to transport it, well, he'd be like, "Ha! I own all the railroads, so it looks like you're going to pay a hundred dollars, where the companies I like or my company is only going to pay ten dollars. What now?" So he had control over the businesses, and this was called horizontal integration, controlling all businesses of the same. He controlled all of the shipping. Now, the other one is called vertical integration, and this is controlling all areas of production. Basically, you control all areas start to finish. So if you are building a car, you are going to own the area of the steel mills that create all the steel that is needed. You're going to create. Uh, you're going to own all of the areas that are producing rubber. Um, you name it, anything that goes into the car, you're going to own everything start to finish, and that keeps all of your prices down. So it's not just own all the railroads. This is own all the things that go into making a railroad and so on kind of thing. So all of those different things. All right. I'm going to take a little pause there and come back. I'm still going to be talking about businesses, but this podcast is running a bit long, so we'll be back momentarily.